Hey, welcome to another episode of the Hack the Box podcast. Today will be a very, very fun AMA featuring the one and only Mubix. We're going to be sharing some really fun stories about hacking, some tales, and just a bit of everything. If you want to see when we're doing more episodes like this and be part of it live, ask your own questions and interact with us, come check out our Discord at discord.gg slash hackthebox. That way you'll get notified when we do these and you can ask your own questions. Now, on to the AMA. Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another amazing Hack the Box AMA. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here in just a moment. On with me today, I have the amazing Mubix. If you're not familiar with Rob, he has done amazing work for the InfoSec community. Uh, he has been involved with InfoSec for over 10 years and has created some amazing content and involved with uh, been involved with some amazing initiatives. Uh, Rob, would you go ahead, or Mubix, would you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, first off, hi. Um, I, wow, tell me a little bit about yourself. That's a deep question just to kick things off. Um, I know, right? I'm opening the, starting things off with, uh, let's uh, sit down and uh, get you on the therapist couch for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so I, I love InfoSec. Like it's, it's more, uh, it's more than just a job for me. It's like a hobby. I love just whenever I can. And I'm not trying to sell anything, I'm not trying to sell your services, but like any I can, I, I love hopping on on Hack the Box and just trying, trying stuff, right? And seeing if I still <laughs> we appreciate got it. it. Totally not sponsored, um, right? Yeah, not, <laughs> no, but seriously, like I was, I was doing Hack the Box last night. I was doing Precious last night and trying that out. So, like, heck yeah. Um, anyways, a little bit about me. Uh, I started my InfoSec career. Um, I like to think about it as I started it when I was a kid and I didn't know that I was hacking or anything. Um, when, when I first, like, when I first triggered, like when I first like knew that this was something I was into, um, it was back when the Nintendo, the original Nintendo was out and they had a game genie. And I thought, Hey, I could cheat at these games. This is awesome. Like, and my mom would come in and she's like, you're ruining the game. You're, you're getting to the end too fast. The challenge is what you want. And I always thought like figuring out, like looking through Nintendo power or like searching online really didn't exist much too much back then, but like searching and asking friends and stuff, Hey, do you have a cheat code for this game or, or whatever um, was the challenge for me. And then game shark came out and the game shark was had with additional feature where you could put in the cheat codes. That was all normal. You could, you know, cheat, but you could then create your own cheats. And you did this by um, uh, searching memory. I didn't know that that's what it was doing at the time. Did stop. stop. Uh, there we go. Uh, you went blank for a second. Yeah, we're good. Anyways. Here we go. We're back. Uh, you were saying about um, okay. searching memory. You know, the, the funny thing about that is I actually had one of those for my uh, Nintendo DS. And I had it for, um, I right. would hack Pokemon games with that. Uh, so the hunters, I understand completely. There's so much fun to play with those devices. And like you said, it's a different kind of challenge. It's, um, you know, it's yeah. a different way of thinking about it. Uh, you were saying, though, you yeah, were searching totally. memory um, and going through and modifying so that to create your own cheats. Yeah, so you find you find you know your health bar was at a hundred, 
or or max because you did calculating health right and then you would hit the special button on the game shark it would then go and say um what's changed and you say okay i got hit by something it's a lesser value and then you'd you'd get hit or get a health you know bonus or whatever and then you'd hit the button again and it'd go up and then you would slowly get down to the exact memory address where your health was being stored and so once you did that you could lock it which basically meant that the game shark would rewrite that memory address constantly um and once you locked it then you could go through and you had infinite health and so that like that was so interesting to me that i didn't care what game it was i would play first person shooters i would play all you know all these different games like uh what was the one the clown uh uh twisted metal um, yeah, Twisted Metal, on, excellent on choice. Yeah, and that uh, people, you know, my brother and stuff would hate me because I'd I'd have the infinite health because I'd found the memory address and he didn't. So it's like I'm not really cheating. You could have done the same work, anyways. Um, that's that's amazing. really where I, I see my start in Infosec. I just didn't know that that's what it was because um, that's really I mean, where it's... my you found your hacking spirit almost, you know, to get to a very high level place with it. Um, yeah. You know, you found that want to kind of tear things apart, which is just really cool. I mean, yeah, the so, fact that I didn't even know that it just overwrites the memory constantly. That makes a lot of sense. Because yeah, you can't lock memory, right? Like, it, mm -hmm. I mean, you can make it not writable, I guess, but like, that's not what they had back then. Um, anyway, yeah. So in in security like i didn't really start in security till 2005 so i was in the marine corps from 2000 to 2008 and i got i went um over to okinawa did you know explosives and and like learned how to build mines and bombs and all wow. that kind of stuff <laughs> that's cool and and then i switched over because like I, I still loved computers and I switched over my uh, my new MOS was 0656. I did um, uh, the school for computers, and uh, we um, I got stationed at Quantico, Virginia, and that's really where I've never left um, anymore. And uh, I got into the Marine Corps CERT. And the Marine Corps CERT was super eye opening. Like I found my calling, like back from the game shark days i was like oh i can i can look at malware i can i can discover like intrusions like i just that i knew well, that was what a I was lot of it's for. the same a lot of it's so yeah. similar that i'm sure you're thinking you know this is what i was doing yeah absolutely so after that like um i knew where i was going so i I worked for the Pentagon. I worked for the Senate. I worked for a couple of different agencies. Um, I worked for um, General Electric at, as an internal red teamer. I worked at Rapid Seven as a pen tester. Like I, so red teaming and pen testing is is my life. I love it. I do it um, authorized to like hack the box <laughs> all the time off duty, and so now. Uh, in the last couple of years, I started being a manager and leader of it. So I get to build, build the team the way that I think it should uh, be and, and make that grow. So that's, that's kind of about, about me. Um, and I, I, I would be reminisced to talk about myself if I didn't talk about my, my kids 
and my wife and and all of that because that's that's really let's see do we still have audio stream chat can you hear me <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Chat, you can't hear me? Okay. Uh, trying to figure out if we lost Rob. <clears throat> okay, cool. Uh, we'll give them, uh, him just a moment. We'll have um, connection back here in just a second. May just be Wi-Fi is cutting out just a little bit. How are you doing, Chat? And thank you for letting me know that you can hear me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, we'll hang out here for just a moment. Worst case scenario, if uh, Rob's um, internet ends up being a little rough, we can always reschedule this uh, and we'll get it figured out. But thank you all for just hanging out and, you know, chatting with me. <laughs> I know this is what you were looking forward to. Uh, let's just go hang out with Dark. Here, give me just a moment. Heck yeah. Hey, we're always <laughs> any cool stories for you. Um, let's see. I met some amazing people at HackSpaceCon. That was really cool. Uh, for any of you that didn't get the chance to make it to that conference, the um, conference was held at the Kennedy Space Center, the visitor center down in Florida. Uh, it was really cool. There we go. There's Rob. Hey, there Sorry. we go. Of course, of course my internet cuts out. That's, that's exactly what it was. <clears throat> that's exactly what would happen, right? Like, Internet cutting out I'm, right in the middle of this. Um, but oh, yeah. now I'm on my phone, so let, we'll see how this goes. Heck, yeah. I appreciate you rolling with us. Hey, I'm glad that we could make it work out. Uh, I was just <laughs> talking with Chad anyway, so we're doing good. Cool. <laughs> Heck, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. You were saying, um, you were telling me about all your amazing experience, uh, and then you were, um, you were mentioning about uh, your family. Yeah, so... Obviously, you can't talk about yourself, um, about who you are without talking about. Um, I have a wonderful wife, uh, three kids, and they're, they're much of my life. And uh, unfortunately, right now, I am away from them, um, and, but looking forward to being back with them soon. Just like, that's what drives me. My wife makes me a better person, that kind of stuff. Heck yeah. There we go. I was struggling with my mic there for a moment. Well, and you know, mm. it's... Everyone always say, you know, whenever people say that they're a self-made man or something, they really leave out the part where it takes a village and it's not just you. It's having that backing of uh, the people that are around you. So, no, I mean, heck, that's a great thing that, you know, keeping them uh, in the back of your mind, uh, especially while you're doing something like this. No, that's awesome. Heck, yeah. Let's see. Then we had some amazing questions that are starting to come in from okay. chat. Uh, Bala, I saw your question. We'll go ahead and get to that here in just a little bit. Um, just for chat real quick, if anyone has any questions they'd like to add, we did have a form out before our AMA as always. Uh, but if you have any questions you want to add, feel free to put them in chat. Uh, we'll do our best to get to them. <clears throat> 
Awesome. Let's see. Uh, well, my next question was, what's a moment from your early um, hacking journey that stands out to you? But I think we already touched on that with yeah, uh, the um, Game Shark, which is incredibly cool. I Yeah, I never thought of that. And I was thinking about it. Um, I played Pokemon and whatnot. And uh, there were cheats that let you get um, Pokemon that had like maxed out stats and everything. Yeah. And um, it was just writing to memory. And I was, I thought it was the coolest thing when I was younger. And it was just, Absolutely. I'm pretty sure I broke my first one. But <laughs> <laughs> did you ever end up breaking any of them or you were messing around? <laughs> um, well, the, like the Nintendo, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the, 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 wow. Sorry. <clears throat> Oh, you're all good. <laughs> every every possible thing going wrong, right? Um, so the Nintendo hey, it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be exciting otherwise, right? <laughs> yeah, the Nintendo actually was um, really resilient. The um, so you would crash it, but you could restart the game or whatever. But there was um, there was one. I think it was like Metal Gear Solid, and I was I was playing with the stuff with that, and I. Um, gave myself like too many i don't i think it was either too many bullets or too many like uh uh i don't remember probably bullets so i i gave myself too many bullets <laughs> and then that same game broke so i had worked all the way through and you i don't know if you played metal gear solid but you have to sneak through so much stuff and there's you know there's some things you can cheat with but there's just some things that you just can't um and <laughs> And I'd worked like halfway through the game and I added more bullets to it. And I, I'm like, Hey, let's give one more than I, or 50 more than I have before. And, and that save game would never work again, which really sucked. <laughs> that sucks. Oh my gosh. Um, no, that's a fun, that's, uh, I never thought of doing that in Metal Gear Solid. I've, um, great game series. And that's one of those that, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I wonder if um, the memory of too many bullets or something started bleeding into another part of the save and messed it yeah, up. Yeah, probably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, kind of related to that, I had uh, we did have a question in chat that, uh, have you ever done a Stack Overflow? And I want to exp uh, expand on that just a little bit um, and take that. Uh, do you have any favorite hacks or have you um, ever done a favorite Stack Overflow or anything like that? Um, I know I'm putting okay. you on the well, spot a little new, bit. This <laughs> is new to me because I thought Stack Overflow was where I copied other people's code into my code. Like, that's what that <laughs> is, right? I don't yeah. know about Stack Overflow exploitation. It's, um, uh, so kind of. Oh, to... you mean buffer overflows? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, buffer yeah. overflow. Oh, there sorry. we go. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Burbage was a little um, off there. <laughs> no, no, no. Stack Overflows, I, I get it. I just was in, in my head, but the reference was the website. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same so, thing. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So, Stack Overflows, Buffer Overflows. Um, I don't really have a favorite because I'm not a, I'm one, I don't have traditional like computer science background. So, like, I, I, I am the script kitty, you know, um, from hell. I, uh, I figure out everything <laughs> by, you know, is that on your resume? The yeah, script kitty from Hal. Be. <laughs> <laughs> That'd um, be on a business card right there. <laughs> there you go. Um, but no, <laughs> Stack Overflows, I I um I don't really like I went through uh oh man, Peter um 
Peter E. Oh, why am I forgetting his last name? He's a friend. Um, I went through a bunch of um, uh, Stack Overflow and Buffer Overflow training, um, and it just doesn't ever stick. Um, like, I like it. I think it's cool. But um, I, I constantly have to re-reference things. Um, like, I've been trying to get into anger and le learning anger, and I, I love what it can do. I just can't, like, get it to stick in my brain. And I don't know. It might be because, like, memory allocation in that um, I learned in, like, high school and haven't, like, don't have a mm -hmm. other traditional, like, um, uh, formal education on it. Um, but I think that for Stack Overflows, my favorite um, was actually through, um, uh, like, what was it? WFTPD. Like, it was a Windows FTP that the offensive security people use in all of their training, or used, at least used to. And um, when I learned about, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, canaries, not canaries. Uh, shoot. When, canary. when you put... Um, no, it's not stack canaries. It's when uh, Easter eggs, not Easter eggs. Shoot, uh, uh, like the eggs. That I you know what you're in. talking about. I just can't think of the term either. <laughs> what is the stupid word? I'm sure chat will figure it out. But um, when you yeah. can put those eggs um, into into memory and have your code find it in super speed, um, like searching memory, I didn't think it was that fast because all of my experience was like really slow because of the game shark and stuff like that and so when i saw that like you can put oh man it's gonna kill me i don't know what it's called those uh um eggs i don't anyways yeah, I, I think that's roughly the term i forget the actual term uh and chat hasn't um, uh topped in so, yet. <laughs> so woot woot w00t w00t was the one they used um, because it would not show up in standard um, coding anywhere. It was a very um, non-common like set of words together. Um, and uh, that's what I used. Um, and I, I loved it. And that's really where I learned the, the capabilities of Stack Overflows. So like, I would say that's my favorite because that's where my mind kind of opened up to the possibilities of them. I still don't I, like, I still to this day have trouble like doing basic buffer overflows, but I get the concept, ROP chains, all of that. Like I get it, I understand it. It's just, I have to reference like return to libc stuff every time I try it. Oh, I mean, I have to do the same thing. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it really stresses the importance of specialization in this field and the importance of, you know, really diving deep in what you love within the field itself. Uh, Chet did say uh, egg hunter. That was the term we were like. Egg hunter. That's what yeah. it is. Egg hunter. <laughs> thank you, Chet. Oh. You're awesome. See, I need yeah, to reference you, Chet. even though... <laughs> <laughs> I know. We were both struggling there for a moment. Um, continuing on with that thought, uh, do you have any favorite hacks that you've ever done? Just anything that you really like how it works? Uh, like for myself, I really like zip slip or like a specific phone. Uh, do you really like a turtle blue for some reason? Uh, <laughs> I, I say yeah. for some reason, because, uh, I swear everyone in the field at that time, that was a nightmare. <laughs> it was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked, um, I didn't, I didn't work on it that much. Um, 
uh, I didn't play with it that much. I'm sorry. Uh, but like MS 14 068, it was either 068 or 48. Now I'm get second guessing myself, but um, that vulnerability in Kerberos where you could go from user to domain admin without ever touching a domain controller. Like you just make the ticket. I mean, you have to do the TGT first stuff, but you standard user. And that, that was the log for J of my time, right? Like that was the like, Oh shit. Um, I have to go fix things right now. Vulnerability. Um, and there was so such an interesting like timeline for that. Right. It came out. Uh, I think it was Benjamin Delpy. Who's like, I know how this works. I'm not saying anything. And a few other re researchers were like, I know how this works too. I'm not saying anything either. And there was a, like, they showed like POCs, but no one released anything. Um, and companies like the company I worked for at the time, we had like 111 domain controllers. Like we patched all of them in one night, like all of them. Oh my and, gosh. Oh yeah. It was super stressful. It was, uh, it was kind of amazing. The amount of like, effort that was put into making sure that this, you know, didn't happen, didn't affect us. And like that vulnerability was so simple and so like unique to Kerberos that it was just, it was just beautiful. Like I, <coughs> excuse me. Well, it's um, one of, of the those other... things where you get that um, subversion of expectations within the software flow. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was just, uh, I think that, is my favorite exploit or vulnerability um, still to this day because just of just how it came out, how it worked, how the dynamics of the community that like people figured it out very quickly, um, but no one released any POC, no one released any fake POCs that I remember. Like it was all like, hey, we're gonna take a step back from the drama and the sarcasm and the sarcasm and all of this stuff, and we're gonna say this is really bad. We're just going to get this fixed. And that was kind of cool to see. That sounds like just a really interesting experience in industry. Do you remember, was that like a, you know, everyone pile into the boardroom, we're going to patch these domain controllers overnight situation? Or uh, oh, was yeah. it much more of a, do you feel like you had time to plan in that case? Um, yeah, so we did have time to plan, right? So the it took like two months for a, an actual POC to be dropped. Um, and people, people had the, the opportunity to get, I know two months seems like a really short amount of time. Um, mm -hmm. but Microsoft came out with a big warning. They told all of their customer, like their enterprise customers, go fix this now. Um, emergency patch, all of that stuff. And, um, and again, I, I think the nice thing was that most of the community was, was very, very nice about like letting people get there. Um, I know it's not like 90 days, but like this thing, this thing was, and so in contrast, Log4j, people were releasing POCs constantly, right? And that was so much more of a rush, so much more of a, um, you can break things um, because you don't patch correctly and all of the, and I actually felt really obligated to put out like here, you don't have to do all of this, you, you like, uh, commentary about it because like there's so much miscommunication going on about that vulnerability. And mm -hmm. so 
Like, well, there was a lot of fear at that time too, because it was just all of a sudden, you know, we had log four J sitting in our laps and it was shoot. What do we do about this? Yeah. And like, that's a very big difference between MS uh, 1468 because like everyone was cool, calm, collected and, and fixed it. Yeah. I mean, it really makes you appreciate when there is a vulnerability like that, that is controlled because it's not, you know, it's not all that common. A lot of times we have these things that are just released on Twitter that they're out there. All of a sudden they're just, they're there. That's, you know, has that been, um, have you found that to be a challenge within uh, your role as the director of red teaming? Which part? What to be a challenge? I just, when things are released all of a sudden, do you feel like that, um, do you feel like you have to kind of drop everything that you're doing at that time? Or, um, yeah. Do you find absolutely. that, uh, yeah. Here, go, Sorry, ahead. go ahead. Oh no. I just, uh, uh, if you have to drop everything, kind of the challenges involved with that. Um, and if there's yeah, any, uh, so, just interesting things you've observed with being in your position. Um, so yeah, like log for J was, is something that, um, people relied on our red team um, to really get to the ground truth of it. Like, what is the actual risk? Um, so we did have to drop everything to do that. We had to work weekends and things. So that was a challenge. But uh, I think that that's really one of the core pieces that a red team, external or internal, really shines at, right, is giving you that ground truth. And I think that if we used red teams um, or pen test teams even more with that feature, other than just, hey, come, you know, find vulnerabilities and get to domain admin, I think that we'd be in a lot better space um, as as a industry. Could you dive into that a little bit more? Um, What do you feel about red teams or offensive operations in general? what do you feel uh, helps make them so good at cutting to this uh, ground truth and really cutting to the heart of the issue? Oh, I thought you were going to open that up to all of that, all of the issues. Oh, we can open it up to all of it. Hey, I'm happy to. (laughs) Heck yeah. um, No, I mean, it's an interesting thought because you think of it this way, it red team, offensive teams, they're really unique department within an organization. A lot of times they can be the team that's pushing for, they're the team that makes the difference with pushing against an issue. And I'm sure that's something that you've seen. Yeah. So the thing about pen test teams and red teams is, and uh, I'm going to go on a small tangent real quick. Um, if you, in your Heck report, yeah, go say, for I it. could, if you say I could have, or we could have done this in a pen test report, I will never hire you ever again. Cause that is the worst thing because what red teams and pen tests do is they give you the ground, again, ground truth. They say that it's either I did it or I didn't. And that's the important piece about pen testing your red teaming is because like if I get a vuln scan, all of these vulnerabilities, I don't know which ones were actually vulnerable. There's lots of false positives. If I do instant response, there's false positives all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Red team has no false positives, right? You either did it or you didn't. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the important thing about the red team or a pen test team um, is because there's, there's no, I mean, there's bravado and fluff and stuff like that to help, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of there's pride in the industry. There always is. Yeah. Right. But like, 
you either did it or you didn't, right? And that's mm-hmm. what I love about red teaming. That's interesting. I mean, you're right, though. It gives you context on a lot of these things where with a vulnerability scanner, it'll say that, oh, this is moderately difficult to exploit. But what does that actually translate to? Is that something that's actionable or is that something that, you know, moderately difficult? Does that mean impossible and not realistic to do? Yeah, no, that's I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so MS 2013 3900. This is a vulnerability that um, is in um, in the certificate buffer of of Windows. So it will say that a code, a piece of code, is signed correctly when it isn't. And um, this vulnerability was uh, was came out in 2013, just like it says on the tin. Uh, and back then, Bit Nine was a big thing, right? Uh, everyone was really pushing for, hey, if it's not signed code, don't run it. And so all of the all of the vulnerability scanners, all of the AVs, if it was signed, they didn't look at it a second time. Like they said, yeah, that's good. So when this came out, big vulnerability, extreme, like go patch now. Um, and it's getting a resurgence. I think 3CX or whatever the recent uh, breach um they're like hey you need we need to relook at this and repatch it because we rolled it back because it was causing problems um and this was a patch from 2013 well everyone's freaking out about it because hey like this is a code signing thing we we got to put a registry key in and it could break things and this is really bad um and i'm looking at this thing and this vulnerability was from 2013 when all of this you know, all of the level setting was on code signing. Nowadays, like EDR, AV, they don't care if it's signed or not. They might tick it down a little bit. They might say, you know, it's a little bit more trusted, but mm-hmm. like it's so easy to get a code signing cert these days or, or you know, it's a little harder to get through authentic code, but it's not too yeah. hard. And But even then, so, I mean, 10 years, 2013, that was 10 years ago. That was a long time ago at this point. And the industry has yeah. changed, like you said. We're, you know, we so, figured out that a lot of these things, like code signing, we used to think that that was not something the bad actors could do, realistically. Yeah. And now there's code signing certs all over the internet on GitHub and otherwise, and you can just get a valid cert. Um, like, uh, anyways, but it's yeah. it's really not that hard. Um, there's even uh, there's even a GitHub repository of a of a um, kernel driver that is signed buy authenticode and valid you can load it into windows right now that what? you can re- you can read memory from it's on github that's nuts i'm oh, gonna have to go I don't through even and look that sign up later code. i don't have to sign my own code i don't have to do anything like i don't have to i just load this driver and now i can read memory <laughs> any red teamers that are watching this that didn't know about that probably just had their day made <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Well, I mean, it really goes to show that a lot of these assumptions, it's challenging that. And your red team, your pen test team, they're good at challenging that assumption. They're good at it saying, holding it up to the light and saying, hey, what does this actually look like when we're, you know, looking at it under a microscope when it's in practice? Yeah. And there's there's a lot of vulnerabilities that that never have a POC released, never have a or it's too hard to exploit. Uh, I was talking to J-Duck a few years ago. He's a, a very well-known exploit dev. 
um, uh, and reverse engineer. And and I was talking to him, and he found like he worked on MS twelve twenty, which is um, this RDP buffer overflow. Um, and which is super cool that he worked on that outright. That's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind me pausing for a moment, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So he worked on it, and he um, tried. He made POCs for it, and it was denial of service, denial of service, denial of service. And in the release, um, and all of, all of the um, things that Microsoft put out, it said like code execution, remote code execution. This is really bad. And JDuck's sitting there like, no, it isn't. Like it's, it's a DOS. There's no like he spent hours and days on this thing, and he's like, I can't find anywhere that I could do anything with this. So you're lying. So I think that like there's a lot of vulnerabilities out there that um, are really, especially in vulnerability scanning that say this is really bad when there's no chance of it ever, you know, actually being exploited or mm. there's no, the, the path you have to take is like 15 misconfigurations to make it, you know, vulnerable. And so that's getting back to the question. Like, I think that is what the red team does is say, yeah, you should worry about this. This is stupid. This is stupid. This is stupid. This is, you know, really bad. We need to fix this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really goes to show you the importance of that um, analysis in depth, like offensive depth almost at that point, yes. where you have that Sorry, offensive. Real quick, yeah. analysis. We yeah. need more. So there's a bunch of people in the world that have <laughs> the analyst title that need to do more analysis. Like if I'm I mean, a vulnerability management or vulnerability analyst or whatever, like, I can't just take results from a vulnerability scan and then give them off to whoever. I look at it, figure it out. And that's really, um, sorry to. Um, no, you're good. That's you a away. great point. But you're like, right, though. I mean, and uh, to that point, a lot of people in an analyst position don't realize that, in, you know, if we're getting down to brass tacks, what, two things. One, pen testers need to realize a lot of times we're auditors in these cases, we're there to audit yeah. the systems. And from that, you're paid to think. You are you are there yeah. to think. And it's you know, paying you for your expertise. It it is. And you know, a lot of people it doesn't really kick in ever that they are a subject matter expert. You know, that we think that we have these things and everyone knows these little truths about computers and you take a step back and you know, even some of these basic things like knowing key combinations in Windows, a lot of people don't know those. And it's, it's that power of being able to translate it, like you said. But um, no, th that's a great point on analy uh, uh, analysts. I forget where we were going other than that. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail, derail you, but like, it's a really no, that's a great a trigger point. word for me. It's a trigger word because like, I see so many analysts in this industry, InfoSec in general, like not, not just vulnerabilities, not anything, but like, if you have the title analyst, they are paying you for your expertise. So use it. Exactly. And it's, you know, make your voice heard. I'm sure you see it a lot of times with junior analysts, or if you're newer in this field, anyone that's watching this or anyone after the fact, I mean, it is that find your voice, be willing to say something in the meeting. If you see something, say something about it, because, you know, even if you're a little off, there's probably something there. I, I'm sure you've seen that before, that there's situations where people need to speak up. Absolutely. hundred percent. And um, I think that the, the imposter syndrome that people see 
um, is is causing some of that, right? And um, and like, oh, man, I had a good tweet the other day about how to get rid of imposter syndrome, but now I'm forgetting. But like, it really is you having to realize that you are getting paid for your opinion, and that someone—it doesn't have to be you—someone saw that your opinion was valuable to hire you into that role. So give your opinion, even if it's a little bit wrong, even if you need to tweak it later, like mm -hmm. give your opinion, be vulnerable, be available to be wrong, try it out, like, and do your best, you know, do your diligence, do like, look at and try stuff. But like, yeah, um, I don't think I mean, I'd be where I am. You today. said be wrong. It, it's, you know, it's that it's be comfortable with being wrong. Yeah. I mean, you, you never learn. So I love the quote, you never learn something when you, um, when you do something right. And mm -hmm. like, I love that quote because you, uh, because that gives me the permission to be wrong. Right. And yeah. so when I, if I'm, if I'm a student of learning, right, I love learning. Then that means that if I'm a student of learning and you never learn something when you're right, I have to be a student of being wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. That's such a great yeah. quote too. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where you need to find spaces that it's okay to mess up in. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, school is so important in that way. And, you know, finding those spaces in your workplace, I'm sure that you've seen that it's having good teammates that allow you to mess up. Yeah, it really is. But I mean, it's also good leadership that allows you to mess up. It's also giving yourself or setting yourself the availability to be wrong, right? So like make a lab, try, try things out, do that, um, extra mm -hmm. stuff, you know, hack the box is a great, uh, and again, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to advertise, <laughs> but like hack the box is a great place to be wrong. Right. No, feel free to advertise as much as you want. Just keep going. <laughs> um, well, then, you know, on that note, uh, one of the things you had mentioned when we were speaking before, um, the AMA was, uh, fallacies within infosec. Did you want to, do you want to uh, speak on that? Just any fallacies you see, um, I know that's a very broad question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that one of the th one of the problems we have with InfoSec, one of them, um, is that um, we we learn very early on um, that um, certain rules, certain things are how it is, and which is funny because as as InfoSec we trust but validate but we don't or trust but verify but we don't validate or verify ourselves or, or our own community which is crazy um so i'll start off with the easiest one password managers um uh don't write your password down is such a stupid thing because they're like that when someone says that out loud or on twitter or whatever don't write your password down that tells me that their mode of thinking is only them. They and their immediate community are good at using password managers. They know how to use password managers. Um, and that means that they're, they're, they're either they're just, you know, learned that way or their, their mindset is so limited. And what I mean by that is like my mother is never going to use a password manager. She just won't. Um, it's too complex. It like, she doesn't want to have to open up a never, another program to log into a website. She mm -hmm. wants to like log into the website with her password and know it. And so 
Like, how do I how do I solve that problem? Oh, just use a password manager. That that's short sighted. That's that's oh, what's another word for it. Anyways, um, it's trying to make a is, simple solution out of a for a complex problem that can't have a simple solution. But it is like all you do is tell your mom or your or person right that writing passwords is down is fine. Like yeah, it's totally fine. Like it's absolutely it's okay. really not that big of a deal if you're safe about it too. It's just you know it's being mindful of what you have. Just don't write it on a where a news you know camera is going to see it, or um, or don't write it under under your keyboard. Like the the. I don't know. I really like putting my uh, my passwords on like those garage sale signs out on the corner. I'll put my password and go. I'll see what service it's for. Uh, you know, there's my Gmail out there. Perfect. <laughs> That's the right yeah. way to write their password. No, but like, think about the threat actors. Think about the bad guys. Who who on earth is going to walk into your office and look at your password, then exit for some reason, and go log in remotely, like, or 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 sit there on camera. Sit. Mm-hmm. It's just the 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 risk is so minimal to having your password written down. That Would you say we, it's almost here? Go ahead. Sorry, uh, you yeah, said the risk is so that, minimal to having it written down. Yeah, so that <laughs> yeah. we still focus on on that as a bad thing, right? And that's that's one of the tropes that I I just gets me inside mm-hmm. because I, it's just so frustrating because it's so limited thinking. So what we should do if if you are the person that says you know password managers are the way to go then make a password manager that fits on a USB key that auto logs into all of the thing all of the things for someone right and it automatically generates like apple and android i think started having password managers in their in their browsers right and yeah uh and so that is a way better password manager where it auto says hey i see you're putting in a password do you want to auto generate and save it and sync it and do all that stuff when you make it user friendly and easy to use, easier than their current way of doing things, that's when security excels. When you mm-hmm. try and make like, uh, I'll just move you have on to, to make the next it make one. Sense. Yeah. So like the the next one that's really pisses me off is uh, user input. Sanitize mm-hmm. user input. Like, okay, if I t- if I have sanitized user input on a pen test report on a red team report. Oh man, I get so frustrated because that that means that you have no idea how this application works that you did no analysis. Like you just said, mm-hmm. "Oh, you didn't actually read the code. scripting. Copy yeah. paste, right? And so again, getting back to like you are the analyst, you should do more work to figure out this thing. <clears throat> So, well, and it's almost, um, are you not thinking through it or do you actually take the effort to think through it? And, you know, it's like two minutes of just thinking about it critically. You know, when you get there, you're going to get 80% yeah. of it in about two minutes. So but, on your report, yeah. you put in like how, how to solve it or, or or how to actually do users or give them references. Like do the little bit of work and says, hey, I see it's a Ruby application. In Ruby, if you set this flag, it actually does standardization on database queries. Like do the five seconds to understand the application. Um, But again, getting back to it, like if you wanna solve this problem, stop complaining about it. Stop saying, hey, do user input. 
and start like looking at the actual problem, the root cause, right? So the root cause is that we have developers who are still using Notepad or Notepad++ to write code. And those two things don't actually help you in security. So like they, they just let you write the code. Like Sublime, great text editor, horrible for coding because <laughs> unless you have a bunch of plugins that say, um, you know, look at your code. But Visual Studio and other enterprise level like coding frameworks will stop you like IDEs, big IDEs like uh, Eclipse. They will stop you from making mistakes. So how do we get those out of, you know, the enterprise hands where you have to pay thousands of dollars to do this into people who can actually use it and, and have better code out there. Right. So, um, so what I'm saying is like, if we can, if, if you really want to solve this problem, you become a developer who writes a library that plugs into like sublime or, or, where people are coding and you make it stop you from doing bad code. And like, that's, that's the really frustrating part is like security is such a big industry and so, so much money goes into it that security is behind paywalls. A lot of paywalls. Like there's, if you're not an E5 at Microsoft, you don't get defender or all of this. Like there's so many, and I think that's changed now. So don't quote me on it, but like, yeah, there's so many things um, behind paywalls that stop good security from happening. And that's so sad. So yeah. open source development is the big thing. Well, I mean, it's interesting because that creates such a weird chain reaction where sure you have these big enterprises that have mm. that, uh, the means to have that security, but that leaves out a lot of these small businesses. And ultimately it ends up hurting us on the whole because if they get in with a small business, they might have some different kind of bug or some different kind of issue that, or they might be the key to getting into your big enterprise. You know, it hurts. Oh, absolutely. Like I can't tell you how many big enterprise applications use open source code that is written by one person. I'm right? pretty sure so it's like, like all of them. Every single one right, of them has that one piece of code. So you have a library or a piece of code or whatever that, you know, stack overflow, whatever, like, uh, um, but it's written by one person randomly um, that wrote it in notepad or wrote it in notepad plus plus or sublime that has no security around it, that we need to get to those people and, because that code eventually gets into enterprises these days. Right. And, and that's yeah. really where the root of the problem is. It's almost like our priorities are kind of mixed up in what we're supporting. But yes, I don't mean to lead you into that. <laughs> I do intend to yeah, quote absolutely. you on that. You have to be an E5 at Microsoft. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, tweet that uh, here shortly. <laughs> um, uh, no, thank you for being willing to speak about those fallacies because you can even just listening to you just myself. I can see the visibility that you have with your position because you have a unique viewpoint that you can see so much more of it that. It's no longer, it's hard to, um, when you're in the field at an analyst position, it can be really hard to evaluate your own position um, and see it in the way that you see it from your position. And it, it's so important. So it, thank you for speaking about those. It's just, yeah. yeah. Did you have any other fallacies you wanted to speak on? Here, go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, SLA. 
Um, and that's really one of the one of the bigger ones. Um, so I got two stories for this. First, um, and what I mean by SLA is service level agreement. It's the amount of time and what I want specifically to talk about, like vulnerabilities. So if I report a vulnerability um, to a company, I expect it to be patched or handled in X number of time. And so um, I was working at um, uh, a company. I'll just leave them anonymous. I was working at a company and we did um we had this piece of hardware that we would deploy out to a bunch of different states um and um, we sold it right and so this vulner this piece of hardware had a vulnerability in it and we sold it for like a couple million dollars uh for this piece of hardware and this researcher came up to us um we didn't have a bug bounty at the time um and reported this vulnerability and said hey I'm going to give a talk on this in 90 days at this conference. Um, we need you to, I need you to patch this before this. And um, we change these pieces of hardware every 10 years. Like that's how long this thing lasts. And it oh costs gosh. millions of dollars each. So, um, and that's the fastest we turn these over. Like there's some places where the hardware has been there for 30 years. Um, and so, so we're like, uh, we, we already patched this vulnerability. We found it like, like five years ago in our own stuff, but like, we're not going to be able to patch this because we would have to resell these big pieces of hardware over to these companies, over to these states. And like, it's just not going to happen. And he was mm -hmm. like, well, you got 90 days to fix it. We're like, oh my okay, God. nothing we can do um that's aggressive and, too oh my goodness 90 days then, i mean in business time that's not a lot of time that's one quarter you know yeah. realistically they i mean a quarter less than a quarter and if it was like a windows vulnerability in a public facing in uh like web app or whatever you know that's one night we take it down we patch it we put it back up. totally totally okay for that vulnerability to be you know um expected in 90 days not a big deal but like uh, a vulnerability in a piece of hardware, like, and it, it was running Telnet, like that's what it was. You could you could access it on Telnet, and that was the one, that was the big reveal that this guy was going to talk about. <laughs> um, and so, like, he gave the, he gave the presentation, and a bunch of our stuff got um, attacked. Um, not our stuff, like we sell it, right? That's the product. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these, you know, and it could have gone so bad. Like this hardware is really important to the infrastructure of the state. And like, so what we did was without any, we didn't sell at all. Um, we, we bought raspberry pies. We put a case on it and we said, Hey, engineers, um, we're going to ship you a new piece of hardware. And all it did was the IP tables off, um, uh, port 23. That's it. And so we shipped like a thousand of these things, a and you can probably blame us for the uh, Raspberry Pi shortage for a bit, but like, um, <laughs> oh, so it's, you're the one that's responsible for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we shipped so many of these things all over the all over the U.S. to get this thing patched um, and patched by blocking a port. Like that's it. And like, it was just so frustrating that he gave 
like 90 days notice. And he was like, I'm going to, and what this could have done if we hadn't gotten to these systems was like human, like, how do I say this without like, there could have been drastic human uh, casualties because of this, right? Because Mm. if anyone exploited this vulnerability and went into Telnet and did bad things because he talked about it, like he didn't change the fact that it was on the internet. He changed the fact that like people knew about it. And Mm. I don't like security through obscurity, but like that was already where we're at with this thing. Um, And he was just putting a public face on it, which made the risk much higher. And um, I know that there's going to be people who disagree with a state, but like, like, or a statement, but like, I would have much rather him just said, Hey, you know, here's a way you could patch it or here's a suggestion mm-hmm. or anything other than go fix this. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. And it was just super frustrating. I mean, it's very blunt and it almost feels like he wasn't, you know, necessarily thinking through what happens after the fact, what happens after I report this. And yeah. it's almost blackmail at that point with a 90 day ticker on that. That's nuts. Yeah. And, and actual human beings could, you know, could, die because of of mm. this vulnerability like it, I'll, I'll just say it's it related to power if you hadn't figured that out but like mm. if if this thing if someone did the wrong thing with this thing it could shut off a power plant which is super important like making that a big deal and yeah. making us get it patched was a good thing but telling the world about it not a good thing yeah we had well, to and scramble it's... to get it fixed it's dealing with the reality of it, you know, where, like you said, that that 90 day time frame was not something that was realistic. And he effectively put it out there and could have caused, you know, a lot of problems. And I mean, it leads into almost bug bounty programs with understanding that triaging does take a lot of effort. And, you know, just because you're an independent researcher doesn't mean that, you know, gets back to what we were saying before, where it takes a village, you are working with other people, you know? Yeah. And so no, that's a great point. The other story I want to get to is um, I learned, so I was one of those pen testers. Like um, I, I had a better, you know, feel for it. Um, but like, I was one of those that was like, Hey, go fix this. Why can't you fix this? Um, until I worked at Uber and um, they really readjusted my frame of SLAs. Um, so uh, when I worked there, they were like, Hey, if you're going to classify this vulnerability as a critical, our criticals means we get everyone out of bed. So like everyone comes into work, no matter what time it is, and we have a 12 hour turnaround to fix. If you're going to classify this as a critical, that's what, that is what you're, you're, you're doing. So is this vulnerability still a critical? And I was like, no, like, and so I loved that because um, businesses already have SLAs when it comes to outages or disaster or whatever. Like that is all planned in a lot of companies, not all of them, but like they mm. already have a, an idea of, hey, when shit hits the fan, these are the mm. things we do. And so, sorry, one sec. Yeah, you're all good. Well, I mean, even to uh, your point, Rob, it's understanding that, you know, it's having that trust almost returned by the company, knowing that, hey, we are going to take this critical seriously, but does it need to be at that level? 
you know, where yeah, does this exactly. actually play out in practice? So when, when, if you're a pen tester, if I'm talking to you and you mm -hmm. write things as a critical, like understand that, that the business no longer trusts you because you say it's a critical because mm -hmm. they will, they will, they will look at it and say, this isn't really a critical. And then they doubt the rest of your report, right? So yeah. if you write your reports and say, this would be a high, this is, you know, putting an SLA into your pen test report and, and saying, this is what I deem a critical. This is the turnaround time on it. That helps translate things. And I don't see that a lot. Um, they just, you know, put high, high, medium critical and expect the, the, the um, customer to understand what that means. And unfortunately that results in, you know, customers not trusting your results. Maybe that's something that almost could be communicated with the customer or from the customer. Um, I'm wondering, you know, maybe that miscommunication becomes a little bit better with uh, customers providing that, hey, this is how we treat these different levels of vulnerability. So this is how it's gonna line up on our end. Um, if you give us a critical, we're gonna get everyone out of bed. We're gonna treat it like the world's ending because to us, yes, it is. And for liability, you know, you get these businesses where, like you said, it's what is the actual impact? Uh, you losing Absolutely. brand value or people are actually gonna get hurt. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's just frustrating that like CVSS and like all the vulnerability scanners still have these critical vulnerabilities. And I think the definition of critical has really gone um, a little too far astray. I mean, it's interesting because that's something that really you would be, you are in a unique position to be able to see that with your role because you see the after effect. And, you know, that's something as a pen tester that I hadn't even really realized that it's almost a boy who cried wolf situation where if I'm going to say that everything I'm reporting is critical and it's not, and it's not from a business standpoint, you know, you yeah. need to be able, not only as a pen tester, uh, you need to be able to communicate these things, but you also need to be able to communicate the why of these things of why do you believe Absolutely. this is critical? And I'm sure you've seen situations where it goes back and forth and you find that, Hey, this actually is a real issue or no, this needs to not be a real issue. This needs to be walked back and, uh, we need to make sure that we're changing that on reports going forward. Yeah. And the the other thing I would say that needs to be added to more pen test reports is point of view. Um, and what I mean by point of view is what I had to know or have to be able to exploit this vulnerability. And what I mean by that is like, um, I've seen a lot of uh, people report like NTLM V1 is critical. Well, so... I mean, it is like you can crack it down to NTLM. Like there's like a bad, a lot, a lot of bad things that can happen because you have NTLM v1 enabled. But the point of view is I have to be internal first. Like I have to get inside your network to then also have some kind of, you know, level of access to relay that or, or spoof that to get you to authenticate. And I have to know which systems have NTLM v1 enabled like if it's a global policy for your entire ad network sure that that's a little bit more but like if it's just one server that you got to relay that has NTLM v1 i have to know which server that is i have to be in a place to be able to relay that that's not a critical like i'm not mm -hmm. i have to have a shell first like i have mitigating controls that stop me from getting that shell that that stopped me from relaying and stopped me from knowing that service. So yeah, 
it's bad. You need to fix it. Absolutely. hundred percent. But like critical, should I get people out of bed for it? No. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder if it's almost, you know, there as a pen tester, I see a lot of concern going the other way where it'd say, you know, companies not necessarily taking things seriously when there is a critical, but I think it's that level of, you know, like you said, it's understanding those mitigating controls uh, that are there. I'm so glad that you hit on that term because it's so important to realize that what is actually there, you know, what is the reality that you're dealing with is that vulnerability isn't in a bubble. Yeah, um, I actually released, note, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I released, oh, I, I was going to uh, mention, back in... go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it twice. Great timing. This is the fun part with uh delay over the stream. <laughs> Um, so I was going to mention if you had had a lot of success uh, or experience with purple teaming, uh, go ahead with your point, though. I can get to that afterwards. <laughs> so um, I released a uh, a scorecard. Um, so a lot of pen tests want metrics and, and figure out how they're doing. And I released a scorecard uh, a few years ago at um, Wild, West, Wild West Hacking Fest um, that you give blue teamers and 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 your point of contact, hey, what do you expect your mitigating controls to be? And it's just it's just a calculus, right? It says, I expect this one to do really well. It's somewhat deployed, it's all the way deployed, like these are the good things. And then the red teamer then fills that same thing out, right? Did I see this? Was I caught by this? Did I have to get around this? And, and stuff like that. And I think that if you have that kind of communication, that kind of scoring or or at least even just hey these are these are the things that we expect you to get caught by i think that um that really goes a long way to providing value to each customer right because that way in a year's time they can have that same scorecard and be like hey we got a 15 on this scorecard because um our red team saw you know or was caught by you know, X, Y, Z, but didn't get caught by half the other stuff that we thought was deployed. We fixed that because we didn't know it was broken. And now we get, you know, uh, 300 or whatever the scoring would be um, on it because now that stuff that we thought was working, we fixed and and now catches them more. That Those mitigating controls are way better. Even though the red team still got to domain admin or whatever their goal was, we caught them 17 times versus the two in the past right that's an interesting idea though it's almost giving yourself a dynamic like worksheet or scoring sheet is you could add on there like whenever you have those new controls um and see what actually worked in practice yeah have you seen um it's you year after year too right it shows that you're you're even though like the pen test team or the red team is going to get to their goal almost all the time like i don't i don't think i've i've failed a test um right but like the, but you can't show the progression of your program of your security program very easily if the test always comes back with we got everything we wanted, right? Um, unless until you get to the pen test team that isn't very good, you go hire them, and so that like it shows that you you can catch them, which doesn't really give very much value. So a scorecard helps you see the progression over time that these controls that that we're paying millions of dollars for are actually doing better now that we've configured them or now that we're doing other things. No, that that's such a cool point to bring up. And it's, you know, how do you measure this? What are the things that you care about as an organization? 
it, you've taken that and made it into something where it is now tangible. It's no longer, you know, all the touchy feely of like, oh yeah, we, you know, we think we did well. We think that we did better this time. No, we actually did do better this time. This is our scorecard. Yeah. You know, it's like keeping score in golf versus not keeping score, <laughs> you know, and just playing for fun. Really, <laughs> it, and it creates a really good conversation when you do, um, when you do this scorecard, because the blue team will fill it out first, and then the red team fills out their portion, and then you meet in the middle um, and say, oh, like, why did I get a one on EDR when I think we we're fully, like, it's supposed to be like a three or five, and and then the red team says, well, we got past it because we could do this. That's where you get value. Like, that's the that's the meat and potatoes. Like, you go, oh, we can tweak that. We can make that better. We can change this. We can talk to our MSP or, or our vendor to, you know, do a better job at finding those kinds of things. And like, that's not on the report. How I got yeah. past, you know, your EDR rarely goes on a red team report. Well, and you're taking it and you're actually having those conversations about individual controls then is, you know, I'm thinking myself as a pen tester, uh, you know, in a pen test role, I don't necessarily know all the controls I'm going up against. And that would be so helpful for me because no longer it's, I have a big, uh, I, I'm not a fan of gray box pen testing. I think that white box pen testing is the best thing possible because then you have that serious conversation and it, it's exactly that it's, is that communication happening or are you just winging it and going into a pen test? And, you know, that's valuable the first time, but really is it, or are you just spending a lot of money to get, you know, it, you're spending a lot of money and not writing things down. Bye. Yeah. So that comes from two sides, right? Mm -hmm. You'll have the side and, and you can fight, you can, you can have the conversation on both sides. Um, you'll have the side that says, um, well, that's cheating. Like you shouldn't know all this information. We want to, we want to know how, like how we really go against a real attacker, but like a real attacker isn't constrained by timelines. So like, let's just mm -hmm. give us the information so that we don't have the, we can shortcut the timeline. Um, and then you have the pen tester side of things and we do have to be introspective, right? Some of us are very selfish in the fact that we want the challenge. We want to go and, and figure out all the things we want that rush when we get that first shell and so sometimes we don't fight back when the customer says let's do a black box and they're like oh cool i get to do another fish or oh you know or i get to test my new tool or the thing you know we as red teamers and pen testers also have to look inside and say what is best for the customer not what is best for rob yeah exactly well and it's you know what is fun versus what is the actual work that needs to be done you know, Absolutely. um, shoot, I had a, a thought off of that. Well, and it's, um, beyond that, you can take, uh, these, uh, you can even have like one team member that is doing that block box and you keep them in the dark where, you know, it's not just, do you, um, typically see your pen test on where it's multiple people working on it or it's just one pen tester that's there? Oh, um, so my team, uh, my, my red team mm -hmm. is, is a team like, by definition, we do things together, right? Um, pen testing, I understand why there's one person or two people on it, mm -hmm. but uh, red teaming, I think red teaming and pen testing are very different skill sets. Um, they mm -hmm. seem very similar, but they're not. Um, red teaming, you are a specialist. You need mm -hmm. to know 
like um, when I first worked at the General Electric red team, I was like my my mind blew out because like I saw we had a we had a tester who specialized in databases. They were amazing in databases. Like anytime we found a database, we're like, hey, here's the database. We didn't mm -hmm. try and bust our head against it, like try and figure it out ourselves. We're like, you're the expert. Here's the database. And so we went and we found and that's what red teaming is, is you specialize in things. So like when I joined that team, I was the Windows guy. I wasn't I wasn't like another tester. I was the Windows guy. So when we got on Windows boxes, they pulled me in. And so mm -hmm. <clears throat> whereas pen testing, you have to be a jack of all trades. You have to know all of the things because it's usually just one or two people. Mm hmm. Well, and it's almost uh, by having that better communication, by knowing what those controls that are there, you let your specialist do their job. You let the person that's really good at evaluating EDR do their job and do it well. Absolutely. No, thank you for diving <laughs> into that. Such an interesting topic just to dig into. Um, we are getting uh, close to an hour and a half. Uh, so I'm going to make sure that I move on in the questions rather than <laughs> that was a great conversation though. <laughs> um, I guess uh, one quick question um, we might've hit on this already. Do you find that there are any misconceptions in industry that really uh, grind your gears? Any misconceptions you really so, like or don't like? Uh, go ahead. Uh, um, man, we could talk about full disclosure for a while. Um, the, the, the password, um stuff really grinds my gears um oh here's one that isn't talked about too much uh so i think that the misconception about pen testing um is is really frustrating um because most pen testers and most pen test companies they'll just do a pen test and be done with it um instead of trying to figure out what is best for the customer right so some some companies they just want to do a pen test and be done with it. And then they take the, the, the report and they throw it in the round file. Um, and, and that's fine. I like, appreciate that Simpsons reference, box. by the way, that was wonderful. <laughs> the round file. Cool. That's what, <laughs> what it's for. Um, but as a pen tester, I challenge everyone um, who's doing that to say, Hey, is, is a phishing uh, really valuable to the customer is breach sim really valuable to the customer um if if you are going into a and i've talked about this to a bunch of different people but if you go into a pen test knowing like if you if on day one you know you're going to get domain admin in the first five minutes don't do it i want i, I challenge everyone to go and say what's best for this customer sometimes a domain password audit the basics and saying, Hey, passwords, you, you have horrible passwords. Let's go through that real quick. Um, that's more important. That's where they get more value than knowing that they have eternal blue on one of their uh, domain controllers. Like, like, cause they can just patch that. That's a, that's a one and done thing. Whereas having weak passwords is, is not something that's easily fixed. Right. Or having a lack of MFA or having anything to do with identity or core root problems, right? So if you're on a pen test and and again, you see it going to be an easy easy day, why don't you take the time to, 
to do the, you know, do the hard thinking and say, what do I think this customer really needs to figure out, really needs to get it right? Like if there's, like I said, if there's eternal blue on the DC, why is there eternal blue on the DC? Not go patch, patch this. Hey, do you have a, you know, change control program? Do you have a, um, a patching program? Do you have maintenance windows? Like, help them find and figure out and even spend the time um, to set up the things that they need. So I was on a pen test for Rapid7 one time and I got domain admin in the first 30 minutes of being there. Cool, whoop de do. They're like, hey, um, so Rapid7 at the time, it's gotten way better, so I'm not dishing on Rapid7, but I got a phone call or I told my boss like, hey, I I um, finished my test, like I'm done. I have everything, I own the whole thing. And they're like, cool, you did a week's worth of work, come on back. And it was Monday. I'm like, can I stay and help fix stuff? And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> like you did what you needed to do. So I actually took PTO and I stayed there and I, I sat down with this guy because the point of contact was the IT guy. He was the security guy. He was the CISO. He was the printer admin. Like, oh my God, he's a poor guy. Yeah. He's wearing enough and hats. So my, he probably, I'm sure he appreciated you being there though. And it's, it's like you said, it's what be, it's what's best for the customer in that case. Yeah. And uh, I sat there and fixed the things that I thought were more important. I helped him configure his firewall. I helped like change the VPN configuration. I deleted a bunch of users um, that like no longer worked at the company. Um, and we, we just spent the whole week, nine to five, fixing that organization. And that was what he needed was, was a, an extra person. That's what he needed. And instead of just being a pen test and going home and doing what I thought was fun, I spent the time, and I'm not saying I'm like any altruistic whatever, like this was what just what I saw that I needed to do as um, I spent the time to fix and help him be, help be the person or the thing that he needed versus just the, you know, the assessment that I thought was fun. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. I like as a pen tester, be the thing that your customer needs versus just the thing that you want to want to do. I guess two questions after that. Um, I mean, to your point, do you feel like it's really that focus on, you know, you're providing a better product. Do you feel like it's that focus on that better product versus um, doing what you would, you think you need to do as a pen tester and then getting out? Yeah. I, so I think that it's great that you brought up better product because mm -hmm. um, one of the other aspects of this was um, there was a there was a um, a time where I was doing this pen test for a company um, and I kept giving them my report and I never really saw changes year after year and um, I'm like uh, at one point like the second year in I'm like hey is there a better way that I can provide this to you. And instantly, without even thinking, he's like, yeah, like we have to it, we have to hand jam this thing into Jira for tickets and we never really have the time. So if you could output your report in like Jira tickets, um, that would that would save things. So 
I wrote a little script to access their API. I stood up a like a lab Jira just so I could test my code. I, I wrote the report. I made it inject into Jira and just API based making tickets and assign it to myself. And so I that year I you know wrote uh, run the code against their Jira instance. It imported all the tickets, all the findings, and assigned it to the point of contact. And he reassigned it to everyone else. Um, that needed to fix it very next year, none of those findings were there. And they like, it was just that simple. And like finding the product, and that's a really great way of saying it. So thanks, Stark, for, for putting that into a yeah. uh, way of saying it. But finding the product that best suits your customer, it should be the goal of a pen test. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it, like you said, it was just that one question. And it, it that's often what it is, is that one question of how do you think I could do better or how can I help you do, how can I provide a better outcome? Absolutely. I mean, do you feel like you see that a lot with many pen test teams where they kind of, they miss that mark? Yeah, I do. Um, and it's not anything against them. Like, I think that when you become a junior pen tester, you see how your senior pen testers do it. And you don't question that there's a better way, right? And they and sometimes they don't even give you space to do a do it a better way. Um, and you know, imposter syndrome comes into that too. Like you don't think that you have a better way of doing things. Um, and sometimes, like the customer, like for for me, we're for Rapid Seven. They're like, no, come home. Like, how many people would take time off to then stay with a a customer for that time, right? So, like. I got lucky because I had the time off to do it, but like, uh, but, and I don't expect I mean, anyone to do that. It shows who you that, are that, as a person. It, it shows that you care about the work that you're doing and it cares. You know that that's your brand. Uh, if we're getting into the personal well, brand, uh, you know, it's terminology. So I love that you, you think so highly of me, but like, it's really <laughs> just me getting pissed off that I have to see the same findings year after year. I don't want to see the same findings year after year. It means you care about your job, though. It means that you care about these findings being fixed is a lot of pen testers want to show up and they they detonate the bombs. They make the big boom and they watch the explosion and then they're out. And it's like, cool, you guys came and blew up our environment. How do I fix it? How where's the brew? But no, thank you for diving into that. It's just it's such a powerful idea. And it's something that it's so simple that it doesn't take a lot of effort and it's just that extra, what can I do to do better? Yeah. And it really is just, Hey, I know that my job is to do a pen test and this is what your definition of a pen test is. And that's what my definition of a pen test is, but let's, let's put aside those definitions. I'm now a security expert for you. How can I help? Right? Not, not I'm the pen tester. You have me for a whole week. What would you, what is best for your company? What is best for your team? And so mm-hmm. like, if it is, if, if, if my pen test, like I will write you a pen test report that has findings and stuff. And then I'll spend the entire week, like doing purple team stuff. If that's what your, your instant response team or your point of contact wants, right? If that's what provides the most value, like I'll, I'll write the like two page pen test report just to make sure you have the checkbox fixed and done. Like I got a pen test. And then I will do what you need and what is best for your company. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and it's like you paid for the week, you're getting the week, you know, in that yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. 
and, and you gotta, it's not you gotta a, be okay. you gotta be okay with yourself you gotta be you you gotta have to be okay with um uh, redefining what your work is yeah i mean it's such a good thing that you touched on that um in particular because it can make you feel uncomfortable you're now challenging the foundation of what your job is and thinking can i do this better and not everyone's comfortable with thinking about that you know it's yeah yeah. um i did want to get into we had an awesome question to ask in chat uh from bala uh that was hey dark can you ask rob about what is the biggest challenge you faced as a director of the red team uh do you have any um just unique challenges you faced in your role or anything that you find that just um really changed your mind or just didn't meet your expectations when you first got into it um yeah so um this is gonna sound super selfish but my biggest challenge that i've had is um is staying away from the keyboard like when my team does something fun or exciting or interesting and i'm and and i'm like hey if you find some extra time on my calendar i'd love to help with this and they go nah we got it and it's like oh come on and so it's really it really is just the the staying away from the keyboard um i will say that they do include me sometimes which i feel very loved um for them for doing that but uh but yeah mostly they they do their work and it's really amazing and it's awesome and i feel like i still do keyboard stuff i still keep current like hack the box and other like triacne and all that stuff um but uh and so I don't feel like I'm getting, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm uh, atrophying those skills because I, I still do that on the side because that's what I love to do. Um, but I do miss like working on the team versus working above the team, trying to make sure their, you know, their heads are covered and stuff. No, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting point where it's, you know, hey, maybe invite your director, may, you know, see who wants to come <laughs> along. Sometimes it's fun to pull people in and, you know, even if you have, um, you know, like a lab situation where maybe your team has uh, like a pen test lab and you have boxes you can go and bash against um, or like a uh, internal training program, it can be really fun. You know, that's a fun idea thinking, hey, what if we invite leadership to come in and, you know, just see if they want to come and hang out for a little bit, you know? Yeah. So I'll tell you that we have a program that I started at at, um, the company I work for right now where every two weeks we all get together and and everybody's invited everyone from the entire company um you know matter if you work in it or not you are invited to come uh attack a hack the box so we pick a box every week and we all go at it so um so the blue team can come join they can learn how we do stuff um and it's a very open um thing so if we get ahead of someone we're okay with coming back to it if if we need to explain a different technique or whatever and it's a very open thing so we've had we've had like directors and leaders come in and be like oh this is fun and interesting this is a cool thing we've had people who are like um uh interns and stuff and come in and 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 try stuff out like and some people stay, some people don't. Like people's schedules get, you know, up and down. But it's it's sort of like a TV show because it's one week increments. We don't like 
uh, build on anything. So if you come in at halfway through one of the sessions, it's just a lot of fun and we explain stuff and we teach and that's really what it's for. And that's the one time that I do get to play is when I, when I get to um, join them on that. Um, I mean, that but, sounds cool though. Do you mind if I ask how long um, I'm just candidly, I'm curious. Uh, how long do you schedule those sessions for? Is it like a three or so hour sort of thing where you're just hanging out in a call? So we schedule them on Fridays so that um, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't impact a lot of work. We schedule them after afternoon. So, mm -hmm. and you get to stay as long as you want. So we usually stay until we, we, we break the box um, until we get rude or something. So, um, we have had a few that have gone into the weekend, um, but um, there's no <laughs> obligation to stay or whatever. Um, but it's usually quite a few hours. It depends on on like how hard of a box we choose or whatever. No, that's cool. I mean, speaking from just the pen tester, if I were in that and I saw leadership and other people, like not even just leadership, it's, you know, having blue team there. That's such a good collaboration and just team building exercise. You know, if Absolutely. we're going to the businessisms out of that, you're getting you have that opportunity to go and mess up in front of other people. And, you know, that's one of the most humanizing things you can do. And it just sounds like a ton of fun. I'm jealous it's of the fact that you all have that. That sounds like that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's you a lot of favorite fun boxes and... you've done with that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, favorite box. I'll put you on the spot with... here. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any off the top of my head. Um, For Forest was a really fun box for me because I got to show off like windows skills. But uh, I think that um, everyone is different and, and it's cool to see different people on, on the team and even people outside of my team come alive on certain parts. So we've had um, people from like the instant response team. They're like, Oh, I know that Linux thing. I know how to do that on Linux. And some people, uh, you know, uh, on the, Oh, and can I lodge a complaint on, on behalf of all of our teams, everyone who joins uh, yes. us on this thing. I, do I get to be on the receiving one. end? Because if so, yes, sure, that sounds like fun. <laughs> complaint number one, uh, and, and this is the only complaint. 80 and 22, can we do anything? Other, like, we don't have to end map anymore. Like, every box, 80 and 22, and that's it. Like, if it's a, if it's a Linux box, 80 and 22 is, like, just... It would be nice to like have even if it's a web server and SSH, put the web server on any other port, like any port. Just mix it up a little bit. But 80 and 22 is just like always there. <laughs> I'll be sure to relay that on. I appreciate the candid feedback with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've seen the same thing. And it's, you know, sometimes it's just a pattern that those boxes end up getting into. But no, that's funny. Um well, it, it sounds like such a good exercise um, that I never even thought of that. Having, uh, you know, everyone shares their screen in the call where you have incident response tagging in that, um, you know, you have all these skill sets that as a pen tester, you said earlier um, in uh, the call, um, it's uh, having that jack of all trades and being able to learn from other people and see people do the thing, but not just, you know, seeing them do it. I get to see them think about it as they do it yeah. and I get the context. It just, uh, that sounds like a ton of fun. I'm actually going to probably take that back to my workplace and let them know, Hey, we should do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, get, no. it gets, it gets 
you to have other perspectives too. Like someone from like operational technology or OT systems comes in and they're like, oh, I know Modbus. There's Modbus on this thing. I'm now the expert. And they get that feeling that they, they get to show off in front of the red team, which is awesome, which is really cool. Um, and it boosts That's such a powerful idea. Just, just calling that out real quick. That's so cool. You're glad. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you for long. No, that's all I was saying. Like, it's really awesome. I hope that everyone does. If you've never had the chance to, um, it's almost like uh, in um, programming, there's paired coding or paired programming. It's almost like a paired pen test. And it's so powerful just to sit and work with people and just, you know, go and mess around on a box. You know, just go have fun. No, that's that. And thank you so much for sharing that. I'm not kidding. I will be taking that back to my workplace and letting them know, hey, we should do this. <laughs> I think I think the other powerful piece of this is that you're all working on the same box and you it's not a contest. It's not Rob trying to get to the end first. It's mm-hmm. hey, I figured this out. Oh, I know how this works. Hey, I know this and the team collaboration on it is so important and so awesome. Um that I love like sometimes I hate hack the box because like I'll run into a buffer overflow or stack overflow and I'll not remember how to do it and I'll stop mm-hmm. doing the box because like, that's not my thing. And I, I, I don't have the time to look up every reference that I need to do that. Whereas we're, we're doing it as a team, someone on my team knows how to do that. And so they'll do that. They'll get the code ready. I'll copy their stuff. I'll get that next piece. And then I might know how to do the like step three after that. And that's mm-hmm. really the powerful piece is, is really learning where those strengths are and coming together as a team. Yeah, I mean, it's you get to learn vicariously through them, and that just sounds even just hearing it secondhand here. It sounds like it's such a such a fun experience to have, especially on a Friday. I mean, that sounds like a great team building time, and you know, a lot of time on that Friday, that time isn't going to be used for much anyway. So have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's sometimes awesome. when we when we pick a easy box, um, or like the director picks an easy box because he wants everyone to go home early. We, we get through their box really quickly and then we're done for the weekend and it's it's really great. It's also a really fun way to kind of give someone an early day off. Heck yeah, I can imagine. No, that's that's so cool. Uh, that's a really smart idea. Thank you so much for sharing that on that as part of the AMA. No Heck yeah. Sure. Now, I would be remiss uh, if I did not ask you a little bit about Hack 5. Uh, when we had spoken sure. before, you had mentioned a fun story about the Bash Bunny. Uh, and I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here. Um, would you mind uh, telling that story for the stream? <laughs> sure. So the Bash Bunny came to be in a very weird and interesting way. Um, so um, I had a uh, USB armory. And I, as you do at DEF CON, you buy a bunch of hardware that you'll never use. Um, and so I bought I'm never going to use any of that stuff I bought at DEF CON. <laughs> so I bought a USB armory for like, and I had it for like a couple of years. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. It, it plugs in. I, I get it. It's a server, but it doesn't have internet access. So I can't like have it do a thing for me. It can't be like a, uh, like a Lambda function doing things for me on the side. It can't be a Docker container. Like it's just a server that only runs. So I was thinking about it one day. And I'm like, all right. Like, 
maybe I can run responder on it. Like I got to figure out how to get it on it. So I ran responder on it and I like had it hit me or ha have it hit the USB stick on, on Ethernet and, and it worked, but like, of course it worked because I was forcing my system to like authenticate to it. So I was like, well, that's kind of useless, but it was kind of cool. Like I'll get it to auto start. Let's see what it can do. Let's see if I plug it in. Um, is it, is it going to auto auth? It didn't. And um, uh, so I put up like a DHCP server and some other things to get it to do that. And I finally got it to kind of work automatically. And so I unplugged it and I plugged it into another computer and and um, that computer was still locked and I had um, I had uh, like blinking lights on it that it would tell me when it got a hash. So it would blink a certain thing when responder would get a hash and I plugged it in while the system was still locked and it started blinking. I'm like, that's shouldn't do that. That that is not. That shouldn't like I was about to log in and it was and it did it. I'm like, okay. So I log into the system and I I log into the USB armory and it has my hash for my my account. I'm like, whoa. Um, okay, so this has to be a one-off. Um, and I've been burned in the past when I don't test things fully, like and they only work on my system. So I'm like, okay, so what other systems can I plug this into that I haven't plugged it into before? to test this so i may have taken it to my wife's computer just to see if it worked so i plugged it in five seconds later <laughs> it's fully locked out but like i get a hash i'm like okay um, did she know you tested this I'm, on her computer i absolutely did it gets worse <laughs> um so i'm like okay i've probably plugged in the usb armory um, to her computer in the past i i want to make sure this works so I might have told a friend to go to Walmart and plug it into a bunch of machines at Walmart to see if it still got hashes. And um, you would never do that. No, 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 never. <laughs> so I got, I came home uh, or my friend came home and gave it back to me. And um, I'm like, okay, this is really cool. So I wrote up a really short blog post about how I can steal hashes from a locked computer. And I wrote it up in a blog post and it was like two o'clock in the morning when I finally published it and I went to bed. My phone was plugged in to the wall when I went to bed. It was dead in the morning. My phone had had so many alerts go through it and there was I didn't have like do not disturb or whatever on. My phone was so like overutilized by the morning because it that my blog post had been pulled up by Reuters and these a bunch of other like news news uh, agencies like hacker finds vulnerability in Windows where stealing credentials out of locked machines. I was like it's true, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And like all, it just blew up, and my phone was dead. And, uh, and I had like, uh, like missed phone calls and like voicemails and all this stuff going on. And Darren messages me on the side. So Darren Kitchen from Mac Five, he messes me, and I'm like, 
uh, hey, how you doing? And uh, I just saw your 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 post about the land turtle because I used uh, the land turtle and the USB armory as kind of the same thing because they both show up as Ethernet adapters. And he's like, I saw your stuff on Reuters. I'm like, what? And so like I go over to Reuters and he's like, yeah, um, uh, hey, this this blog post you did it on the land turtle is like, how do I get this you know automated on the land turtle? And we talked about it and he's like well, what if we had another device that did this and did it faster? And because he was already working on like uh, a USB based device that was had a better processor and a few other things. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Um, what if it did more than that? What if it did like uh, if it had an Ethernet device, but you could switch modes so that it had the um, uh, like the rubber ducky feature where it had mass storage and a few other things. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And then we went like back and forth on ideas and like, um, and like the bash bunny just came to be because we were both really excited about like what it could do. And I actually like two days prior had read an article from, oh man, t- uh, he goes by Trando, T-R-A-I-N-N-D-O on Twitter. Um, he did a Google blog post uh because he was part of uh, 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 Google Zero Code or Project Zero. And he did a blog post about how um, Windows can be booted into kernel debugging mode. And I'm like, hey, um, if it has if it has uh, a serial portion of it too, we could do this other exploit. So um, basically, and I guess I'm talking about this publicly for the first time, if you plug in a bash bunny and you boot a us uh, a windows machine into kernel debugging mode which is just one of the fa options the bash bunny can operate as com0 and that com0 goes into the bash bunny which means you can debug the kernel so with a little bit of python coding and a little bit of love you can have an automated kernel debugger on the bash bunny that then changes sticky keys on that system in memory only to be command.exe and so you boot in you boot in the kernel debugging mode you put in the bash bunny it becomes com0 it connects to the kernel it says you know i'm going to modify these these attributes for the registry and then you hit shift five times and you have a system level shell on that system so the bash bunny now it doesn't it doesn't um, break uh, like hardware encryption, so you're not going to get past that. But if you can get to the F8 menu, you have a shell on that box with just a bash that, bunny. That's incredible. Now you said that um, as you're getting this already, a little bit of love is needed to make this work. Is that a hard set thing? Is it? I'm not sure if that was love that was involved there to get that exploit to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will tell you that um, kernel, like Windows kernel debugging on Linux is not a very supported thing. Like you can't find libraries for it. So like I had to do a very like um, I had to do a lot of uh, coding and like debugging of the kernel uh, like uh, protocol going back and forth. Like the, the protocol it does for when you do remote debugging. Um, and find what I needed to do to actually get a prompt out of it and set the commands and set the breakpoints and so on. So that was a lot of love um, because it took me a few days 
to kind of figure that out in a, a couple of weeks to kind of implement it. Um, but yeah, uh, if there's any any people out there that know Python way better than me and want to try and um, make this more capable, I'm down for it. That's so cool. That must have been such a surreal experience waking up. And I've never heard of a situation like that where your phone is dead and it's still plugged into the wall, but it's dead yeah. from the notifications. Yeah, That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I had remembered it when we were talking and it's just, it's such a cool story. And it's, you know, it really, you know, behind something like the bash bunny, it's so fitting to have such a cool story behind that, that it's really yeah. how that came to life. And it, and it wasn't any, any expertise on my part. I, I accidentally plugged it into a, a, a locked machine and, and had it show and, and I understood that the the like the flashing lights that I had set up were a hash. Like I, I noticed that and I was like, hey, this this shouldn't work the way that it is working. And so that's all it was. Like um there's no no special expertise there. Like I mean, yeah, anyway. but it speaks to that, you know, be willing to try new stuff because you never know what's gonna happen. It might work. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it looks like we're getting close to the end of our AMA time here. I did want to ask you just one final question. Um, sure. And this is one that I always love to ask our guests for AMAs. Uh, do you have any advice for uh, just younger hackers or just advice in general that uh, you'd like to give uh, those watching the uh, stream? Yeah. Um, never be afraid to ask a stupid question because they're, uh, uh, that's one of the things that I think has been broken in in my brain since I was born. Um, like, I don't, I don't have the fear of asking someone a stupid question. I never have. Um, and so like when I was having troubles with, with, uh, um, with Meterpreter and Metasploit and stuff like that, I asked HD more and, and he responded and he's like, Oh, that's a cool question. Here's, you know, here's the answer. Um, or he said, here's the blog post or whatever. And like, I have never had a fear of going up to anyone and saying, I don't know how this works. Can you help me? Um, and I would say that junior pen testers, I don't get enough of that. Like I, like, I'm not saying that I'm the expert in anything. I'm, I'm saying like, I, I feel that a lot of testers, a lot of junior infosec have a fear of looking stupid. Um, and I, I think that you should discard that feeling like it's okay to to have the stupid question because sometimes the stupid question like what should I do with this USB armory thing leads into being on the front page of Reuters. Um, but like seriously, <laughs> that's such a great comparison right there. Um, well, you know, it's like what you were saying, it's a stupid question doesn't always it's not necessarily a stupid question. It may be a silly question to you but it doesn't mean that it is one. Yeah. And you should not feel, and I know this is hard to do, but you shouldn't feel like that question is going to reflect badly on you because when I get questions, I, any question, if someone asks me a question that says, Hey, how do I run Nmap? I don't think they're stupid. I think they're interested in it. So I'm, I actually think more of them, right? If they're open and willing to ask a question, like it actually makes me more interested in helping them, right? So, uh, yeah, if you're a junior pen tester or someone new to InfoSec, ask all the questions. Ask all of them. 
Heck yeah. That's such a great point. And it, it is such a wonderful thing to uh, end on there is just, you know, asking those questions it, to your point. It's, you know, it shows your passion. It shows that you care about the industry and, you know, I'm sure that you see that it, I'm sure it comes out in interviews. And when you talk to other people that you can see the passion in the way they talk about things. Yeah, definitely. Heck yeah. Um, perfect. Well, before we wrap things up, I did want to give you the opportunity. Uh, would you, uh, uh, be able to lift up or list off some of your socials, some of the uh, cool ways that people can connect with you um, or anything cool you've got going on that you want to advertise for uh, everyone in chat. Yeah. I, um, like always hack five stuff is, is really awesome. Um, the, uh, the uh, one thing I will say, I guess, is if you ever try and reach me via email, it is a, um, a, a failure in, in a, observability i guess because like i get so many emails like i just can't read them all and so um the best way to talk to me is via discord um i'm on the hack the box discord um or via um direct message on twitter on at mubix on twitter um those are always open and i don't get a flood of that so like if you ever want to have a question or whatever i'm all open to that um any instant messaging essentially I I will respond to you on instant messaging, but like email is is not the road to contact me. <laughs> it's not. It's just yeah. Heck yeah! I uh, before we wrap things up, uh, did you have any shout outs you wanted to give out? Um, I see a bunch of people mentioning Nova Hackers in the the chat as well. Yeah, so uh, Nova Hackers. I started Nova Hackers with Chris Gates, uh, Colonel Ownage, in two thousand nine. Um, COVID happened and it kind of died off a little bit. We tried virtual. There's a, a, a small contingent of Nova Hackers that do still go in, in person. I think that Nova Hackers is, is going to be revived and, and become itself again. But um, uh, it's kind of in this limbo period where, where a couple of really core members are doing a really good job at keeping it alive. But I have not been back in a while. Um, but Nova Hackers is a great place to share and teach and learn. Um, I love... I truly love Nova Hackers for how the presentations happen. So um, it's when you present at Nova Hackers and, and you're required to present at Nova Hackers if it's your first or second time, um, but uh, it is an open forum. It is not like I'm going to give my presentation and then I'll have questions at the end. No, halfway through your sentence on your first slide, you're going to get a question. Um, and I love that because it's it's more open dialogue. And like, uh, if if I'm doing a presentation and something on my first slide is stupid, I don't want to wait to the end where someone might forget that that first slide was stupid for someone to give me that feedback. Like I'll make the edit right there and then to make it more, more sense. And that's what I love about No Hackers is like I became a better presenter. I became more aware of my biases. I became more uh, open to different viewpoints because I presented it something like that. So Nova Hackers, I love it to death. I hope that it um, comes back to its full form eventually. Heck yeah. I mean, city sex on in general are just so amazing for that. I mean, how that's how I improved my presenting skills as well was go mess up in front of other people that will, you know, gently uh, tell me what I did wrong, but it'll be funny all the yeah. same. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, did you have any other shout outs you wanted to give? I, Nova Hackers is a big one, I know. 
Yeah, no, um, I'm probably forgetting a bunch of stuff. So uh, uh, I appreciate everyone who's um, um, just shout outs to everyone who's helped me in my career. Um, uh, HD Moore being a big one. Um, Colonel Owens, um, uh, Chris Gates being another big one. Um, uh, John Strand and a bunch of the other weirdly well-known people. Like I wouldn't be where I was in my where I am today without them being open to questions and me being the silly person who's new to the industry, just asking a ton of questions. So, um, of, 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 you know, legendary people, like I walked up to Dan Kaminsky and asked him how DNS worked. Like that, that's like the level of, of like, I don't care who you are. I'm going to still going to ask the expert on the thing, the question that I want to know. Um, that like, that's the, yeah. That's the shout out I'd make is all the people who got me to where I am today. Heck yeah. That is a hell of a shout out to end things off on. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Mubix. Uh, thank you so much, Rob, for being here. It has been a real oh. pleasure being able, especially being the one that's hosting and being able to have a, just a fun conversation with you. Uh, yeah, thank I you everyone that's tuned in for chat and everything. Uh, yeah. Um, no, thank you so much for being here. Heck yeah. Yeah. And if there's any question that you still had, anyone who's listening, um, please feel free to direct message me on Twitter, that question, and I'll, I'll definitely get back to it. Heck yeah. Have a great day. No, thank you so much for being uh, accessible and all that. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much to uh, everyone in chat. Uh, but that is going to do it for another amazing AMA. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. And that's all for today's AMA. Join our Discord at discord.gg slash hack the box. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at hack the box and see you next episode.